Amen. Galatians 5 and 22. If you have it, say amen. Yeah. And I have my marking here. Galatians 5 and 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Amen. God bless you. you can be seated this morning. Amen. Who's going to help me teach this morning? Amen. Help me, amen, deliver the word of the Lord. Amen. I always, uh, I'm reminded, amen, of something that I learned in, in Bible college. Um, in, in the, if you, will, if you will, the art of preaching or teaching is that preaching and teaching is an interactive exchange. It is an exchange between the pulpit and the pew. Uh, and when the, the man of God stands behind the pulpit and declares the word of the Lord, the onus or the responsibility is upon the people to engage the, the preacher to, amen, to throw the word of God back to him with a hearty amen or hallelujah um, and, and really uh, do that. Uh, uh, there's something about it when... A, person is preaching and the audience, the congregation preaches with them, it really gets that, it gets that, that exchange going a little bit faster and faster. Uh, the back and forth is like the pistons in a car where it's, it's reverberating back and forth and, until there's this heat and there's this combustion and there's action that takes place. Um, and, and that back and forth action is what we have uh, in the preaching of the word of God that is it's what produces a powerful altar call. It's what produces uh, repentant sinners in an altar. It's what, re- it's what produces uh, life-changing moments in an altar call because there's this interaction, there's this exchange, amen, between the pulpit and the pew. Uh, we're continuing on with our a series of studies this morning uh, on, the, subject, on, on the, the fruit of the Spirit, and we're wrapping up, if we're, gonna, if we're able to this morning, the subject of temperance. Uh, mastering yourself. Uh, the last several months, really, we've gone through uh, in, in great detail and taken, taken our time going through the a- different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, and we're on the subject of temperance today. Uh, we talked last time about, uh, we defined temperance. We, we talked about how that self-control is a battle uh, of the, between the flesh and the Spirit, uh, we moved into talking about a lack of self-control that uh, you and I can struggle with if we don't allow the Holy Ghost to help us. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 9 and 24 to 27, Paul makes uh, clear that failure to bring your body or yourself into subjection is a risk to being unapproved or rejected. Uh, not bringing yourself under subjection to the Spirit of God uh, is risking being unapproved or rejected by God. Amen. In other words, I've got to allow God to help me to have some self-control in my life. Uh, we talked about uh, the subject uh, in, in relation to a lack of self-control, about the subject of idolatry and how it's it, putting anything before the Lord. Anything that comes between you and your God becomes an idol. Uh, the next area that uh, we'll talk about uh, from 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 12, 
uh, is not just idolatry, but there's also fornication. James chapter four and verse number four says like this. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Amen. It's not just the men, it's the women as well. Know ye not that friendship with the world. Listen to this scripture again. We can go through it very quickly and not connect the dots. But he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. So we, uh, we're in that particular phrase or few words, we think uh, sexual fornication. But James says, know ye not that friendship with the world, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So is he talking about sexual fornication? Or is he talking about different friendships? But what is actually being stated in this scripture is that friendship with the world amounts to spiritual fornication. Friendship with the world amounts to spiritual fornication. Amen. When God says that you are supposed to be my bride, you're supposed to be mine, and you go out and you fellowship and you uh, you have this uh, communication and fellowship and friendship with the world, you are, in other words, you're being unfaithful to your God. That's why we've got to be very uh, careful with who we allow to, uh, into our, our circle of influence and our yeah. friendships. Right. Because that amounts to spiritual fornication. Uh, Although we are in the world, we are not of the world. And a self-controlled, Holy Ghost-filled Christian will, uh, the the Spirit of God will enable us to live in this world without being conformed to it. I have friendships uh, and I have professional relationships in my job, but I'm not hanging out with people that are not going the same direction that I'm going. Amen. Amen. I'm not hanging out with people that are not living for God because it negatively influences and affects me. My my mother and father, I'm thankful to God for them throughout my growing up years. They always made sure that they knew who I was hanging out with. Because they were careful to allow certain friends in my life because they knew it would affect me and it would influence me. Uh, the other subject uh, regarding a lack of self-control is something about, uh, we call it tempting Christ. An example of Israel tempting God is found in Numbers chapter 21 and verse number 5. It says it like this, And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth loatheth this light bread. They spoke against rightful authority. There's times when it would, uh, every one of us will question in our minds why certain things are, why things are done a certain way in a church. And what's really going on behind the scenes. And there's always going to be questions that probably remain in our mind about uh, certain things that we are not aware of. And uh, the old phrase, curiosity killed the cat. Uh, But when we begin to speak out against the authority that God places in our life, we begin to tempt the Lord. Paul lists the word seditions in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. 
as one of the works of the flesh. Sedition is defined as incitement of resistance to or insurrection against lawful authority. True self-control through the Holy Ghost will create in us a respect for authority. A respect for authority. Another area in which we can, uh, if we're not allowing the Holy Ghost to work in our lives, we uh, we begin to exemplify a lack of self-control. A subject as uh, a word in the King James that's called murmuring, or we would call it complaining. To murmur means to grumble. The Israelites complained. That you read the scriptures, the Old Testament. The Israelites complained and grumbled about their leaders and about their situation in life. And on down, everything that you could think of, they would complain about it. And they would complain. It was grumbling and complaining that was never approved of in scripture and in no wise represents self-control. The lack of self-control has kept many a psychologist and psychiatrist self-help authors and numerous other counselors extremely busy the lack of self-control has fueled this industry because of people that haven't allowed God to work in their lives and haven't learned to master themselves and have some self-control in their lives and that self-control, uh, you, you think about it and how uh, uh, it's at the root of any number of mental, emotional, and spiritual sicknesses or ills. Some of the ways that we refer to our own lack of self-control. I eat too much. I drink too much. I'm never on time. I never finish anything. I don't pray and I don't fast enough. Uh, I'm addicted to cigarettes. I'm addicted to drugs. I'm addicted to alcohol. I can't seem to forgive. All expresses and reveals a lack of self-control. I'm hooked on this. I don't have self-control. And at the roots of those problems that we listed is a lack of self-control. Areas where people will lack self-control is as James 1 and 15 says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Amen. It brings about separation. If you don't learn to master yourself through the uh, influence of the Holy Ghost, there is going to be destruction that's waiting for you at the end of that road. It's not. It, it may start out with separation with you and your God. And eventually we'll end up with separation in your marriage, separation in your, uh, in your finances, and just destruction, amen, in your life. Amen. Another area where people will lack self-control, not just essential desires, but in their finances. There's a whole lot you can talk about with self-control. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse number 20. You have it up? Proverbs 21 and 20. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man Spendeth it up. Spends it all. People that are just constantly broke are showing they have a lack of self-control. They haven't learned to master themselves. Allow the Holy Ghost to help them. Sit down, create a budget, figure out what's going to happen the next between now and the next pay period. People that are just, oh, I'm broke all the time. Broke, broke, broke. No self-control. This 
thing that we're talking about in the scriptures doesn't just affect uh, your uh, it doesn't just affect one area of your life, but it will affect all the areas of your life. At some point or another, you've got to sit down and you've got to get on your knees before the Lord and say, God, you've got to help me, Lord, not just right now in this moment, but in every area of my life. Lord, reign in my life. Help me to master myself. Amen. When I yield myself to the Lord, when you come to your knees before the Lord and you surrender everything and you say, God, I'm giving myself to you. I'm yielding myself, God. I'm laying my life, my will, my my heart, my future at an altar before the Lord. It's yours, God. God says, I can help you in the areas where you have struggled with. Amen. You can even lack self-control in your ambitions. Proverbs 23 and 4 says, labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. There's got to be even some self-control in your ambitions because you can be so ambitious in life and you can, you can just do so many things in life. And I believe in the, the potential in humanity and in a person that's determined. But at some point, you've got to say, I'm going to exercise self-control and make sure that, that it, my life is still in perfect alignment with my God. That though I want to do all these things in life, I make sure that when I go out to college or, or I'm in school or, or I'm in a graduate program that, I'm, that I stay faithful to God and I stay faithful to church and I stay faithful in time and I stay faithful in my involvement and I make sure that God is always number one and I exercise self-control. Everybody can benefit from this today. Proverbs chapter 20, verse number one, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Some would try to justify, well, just a little bit of wine is okay. The Bible says it's a mocker. It's going to mock you. And, and the Bible says, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Proverbs 25 and 28 says, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Talking about that subject of anger. You and I, if we don't stay prayed up and connected to God and, and submitted to the voice of God, and the word of God can allow that spirit to get on us. where We're just angry. Amen. The self-control life, though, on the on the opposite side of the spectrum, this the self-control life. What does that look like? Amen. Uh, it's in first Corinthians chapter nine and verse twenty four, and it continues through. Uh, chapter 10 and verse number one. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Everyone that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Every year of your life, you've got to say, God, work in every area of my life. It can't just be God working my life on Sunday mornings when I come to church or Wednesday nights when I come to church. But Monday morning when I get up and go to work. Tuesday when, I, when I'm at school, God. Thursday when, I, when I'm hanging out at the park with, with some friends, God, help me to let this continue to work in my life. Let this continue to work in my life. Now they do it to, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I. Not as one that beateth the air, not, not a shadow boxer. 
Not as one that beats the air, just kind of getting ready for the match. But he says, but I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You have got to be able to say, I keep under my body and I bring it under subjection. And I say, you're going to go to church. You're going to get ready. You're going to live for God. You're going to pray today. And no matter how tired or how late it is, you're going to make time for the things that are important. Amen. From this passage of scripture, we get a fuller meaning of self-control. Here it's the Apostle Paul that's contrasting exercising control over uh, his body with running aimlessly in verse number 26. He believes that athletes exercise self-control because they have a clearly defined purpose or goal in their life. And we could reference today even the Super Bowls happening. And the people that are playing in that game are people that have exercised a certain level of self-control over their physical bodies and their, their stamina and their diet. And they, they, they've done everything they can to get there to that place. And there's going to be one winner that emerges from that game. Uh, but in this race, amen, you've got to have your sight set upon a heavenly city, amen. And if I live holy, if I, if I do everything in my power, if I make it to the end, at the end, there's going to be a heaven for me. There's going to be a God, amen, that's there behind those pearly gates welcoming people in that have lived their life with self-control. And those athletes, they cannot be distracted by every passion or desire that comes along. Four aspects of a self-controlled life moving, amen, quickly. A self-controlled life begins in the mind. Everyone say the mind. mind. A self-controlled life begins in the mind. We cannot help. We cannot hope to exercise self-control in our lives if we cannot discipline our mind. We've got to be able to say uh, there's prayers that I've learned to pray down through the years. And I begin to pray, God, I plead the blood of Jesus upon my mind. The devil's throwing fiery darts into my mind and and causing me to think about things and doing things and all these uh, things. And I know they're not pleasing before you, but God, cover my mind. God, if I can get a hold of, if I can have subjection, Lord, every thought and God, every imagination, Lord, if I can bring it into subjection, I can win the fight. I can win the battle, God. But it begins in the mind. And that is another reason why we must have our word of God, the Bible, and read it. And say, God, let this word get in my heart, in my mind. Because I, it's, it's that sword of the Spirit. It's, there's the, the whole armor of God, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. You've got to put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to fight this battle and win. Amen. You've got to be able to win. Amen. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5 says, casting down imaginations. Who's casting it down? It's not God doing it for you. It's not pastor doing it for you. It's not your neighbor. You've got to be the one to cast down imaginations. I'm not going to think about that. God, I'm going to put the word of God in my heart. I'm going to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing it into captivity. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You've got to bring that thought life into captivity. God, I'm submitting myself to you. 
I'm subjecting myself to your will. A self-controlled life has positive goals. Remember that in a race, everyone runs, but only one receives the prize. You also must run in such a way that you will win. Amen. You've got to desire to win the race. Amen. Don't be a quitter. Amen. I heard a long time ago, a winner never quits and a quitter never wins. You've got to just make up in your mind, I refuse to quit because if I won't quit and I'll stay in the race. Amen. That I believe I'll make it. Amen. In the very end. Because the Bible says, he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. He that endures to the end, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith upon the earth. Amen. I'm going to live for God until that last day. Amen. When I hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. The goal is to win the prize. Many people never exercise self-control in their lives because they have no godly goals. No godly goals. I felt in my life from even a child that there was ministry in my future. And I thought, I've got to live for God. I've got to guard my reputation even as a young person because one of these days, there's no telling, there may be a ministry for me. And I don't want people saying, well, yeah, thank God you're doing a good thing. But I remember all the bad stuff you did when you was a kid. All that nasty and mean stuff and... And you, you were you were a horrible type of person. I don't want them to look look back on look at me with those with those eyes and say, yeah, look at you. You're trying to be good now, be a Christian now, but all those years growing up, you was this and you was that. Amen. I want to live pleasing before the Lord, before the Lord, and I want to have a good reputation. A self-controlled life involves discipline. True athletes practice strict self-control. Strict self-control. When I was uh, a lot younger. Uh, and I was in my teenage years. And I was on the basketball team. My coach told us no sodas. No, none of you are going to drink soda for the whole season because soda, you know, kills your muscles and you're not going to have the stamina and you're going to be uh, dehydrated and all the different things. And so there, there was that, that strict diet we had. And there were some other things. But there, there's, that, there's that discipline that you've got to have in your life. And you've got to make up in your mind, you know what, uh, you've got to understand, you know what, soda's not bad. It's not going to cause you to die tomorrow. There's things that in your life you may say, well, you know what, everybody else is drinking, they seem to be fine. And, and there's going to be things that God calls you to live at a higher standard, a higher level. And others may not understand, they may question your commitment before the Lord to think, well, I, I'm doing that and I'm fine. But, but God's called me to live at a higher level because there's ministry in my future and God wants to use me. And I've got to have, amen, my eyes set upon a goal. God, I'm going to get there where you want me to go. Discipline is required for the training to be effective. Without discipline, training will not take place and the prize will never be won. And and another thing, a self-controlled life demands focus. The runner that Paul is referring to is running to win a prize, but that one that will fade away one day. And he reminds us that we are running for an eternal prize. And if we do not stay focused, we will lose our way. You've got to stay focused on the things of God. And what that looks like in your walk with God is, is as you as you take inventory, and you, the Bible says, now let a man examine himself, and you begin to look at your life and say, you know what, 
I don't think I have the same fervor or the same desire that I had when I was a young person or, or when I first came to God. I feel like I've lost that zeal, that desire. I'm reflecting. I'm examining myself. And you've got to be the one to pray, God. Help me to get back to my first love. Help me to fall in love with you. Help me to be enamored with the things of God yes, all over again. Help me to not lose that same desire and commitment I had when I started out this race. Help me to live for God. You've got to take time. And that's the beauty of prayer. Prayer is reflecting. Yeah. Prayer is stopping for a few moments, turning off all the noise, amen, turning off the cell phone, putting it in the other room in case it vibrates, and just blocking out all of you, everything out, out of your mind and saying, God, help me to talk to you. And I, I guarantee as you begin to turn off everything, and you begin to just talk to God, God will speak to you. Yeah. Brother, no, what about this? Oh, yeah, that's right. Brother, Nate, what about that? Oh, yeah. Help me follow that. And God will speak to you. God will, you know, God doesn't just speak to the preacher all the time. But if you get in prayer and you'll begin talking to God, God will say, Elijah, what about this? Brother Raul, what about this? Praise God. Hallelujah. God just spoke to you. He didn't didn't need a preacher in that moment. But you begin to prepare your heart and your mind. You begin to talk. You begin to put your mind upon the Lord and and clear out all the clutter from your life. You begin to focus upon the Lord and God begins to speak to you. What about this? I've spoken to you about that. And if you allow God to work in your life, God will help you. But you've got to stop and turn off all the stuff. Put aside everything. Amen. Have some self-control. Amen. Through the power of the Holy Ghost. Developing self-control. Self-control begins by total submission to God. Thank you, Lord. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's got to be complete surrender in your life for the Lord. But the thing is, so many times we, we, we put restrictions on our walk with God. We say, God, you can only have me on Sunday mornings. God, you can only talk to me about my spiritual condition, but don't talk to me about my finances. God, you can, you, can, you can deal with me, Lord, uh, and I'm good with everything, but God, don't touch this in my life. And don't, don't touch my worldly influences and don't touch my, uh, all the different entertainment and things that I'm involved in. And don't touch this. And, and we put all of these different exclusions to God. And God says, I'm just looking for somebody that will just say, God, here I am. I surrender all to you, like the old songwriter said. I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. Amen. All to thee I freely give, God. It's all yours. Everything that I have, God. Every area of my life. And there's no area of my life that the preacher cannot touch, that the man of God cannot speak into my life and address some change and encourage me, amen, to change my behavior. But I'm surrendering everything to God. When the writer said, ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. He was inferring several things. 
God will not make us submit to him and serve him. God's not going to make you do the, the right thing. God's going to speak to you about doing the right thing. He's going to let you know it's the right thing. He's going to let you know. He's going to give you direction. But you must willingly present yourself to him. God's not going to get in there and, and take and just snatch out the alcohol that you're struggling with or, or the, uh, uh, the cigarettes that, that, that you're struggling with. And, and God's not going to snatch out the, the drugs and, and all, all the, the, those, those are the blatant things. Uh, but the other things in your life, God's not going to get rid of that for you. You're going to have to do that. You're going to have to throw some things down and say, God, it's more important that I make it to heaven than I enjoy this temporary pleasure for a season that's destructive to my health. But without self-discipline, we will not present ourselves to him because it takes self-control for you to say, God, I'm going to give myself to you. I'm going to get up and get ready and go to church. I'm going to get up Get ready and pray every morning, God. Every evening, God, I'm going to get my Bible out and I'm going to read my Bible. Even though, amen, Instagram's more appealing. Even though Facebook's more more exciting. Even though the news is more uh, engaging. But I'm going to get up and I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to say, God, give me a love for your word. Give me a love for prayer. Give me a love for your presence, your spirit, and your power, God. Self-control is... Developed as well by setting spiritual goals. The Bible says in Matthew 6 and 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. But the thing is, so many times, amen, in the world, uh, we, we will seek all the other things. And we'll put God on the back burner. And we think if I live for God, then I've got to let go of all these other things. But the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things. Amen. God's going to begin to add to your life. Amen. If you begin your walk with God, saying, God, I just want you to have all of my heart and all of my life. I don't, don't worry about my, uh, God, the other areas of my life. God will take that commitment. Take that surrendered heart, work with you, and bless you with other things that you didn't even ask him for. Self-control is developed by being faithful every day, having some good habits. Each day should be undergirded with prayer and daily Bible reading. Every day undergirded with prayer and Bible reading. If you're the man of your house, you must exercise the right to be the spiritual leader in your home. If you're the single mother today, you've got to exercise the right to be the spiritual leader in your home and say, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. You know, this is my house. God blessed with this house. This is my family. God blessed with this family. But I'm going to now lead my family in prayer and consecration before the Lord. And I'm going to say, honey, watch me. Amen. Just watch me. I'm going to pray. I'm going to lift my voice. Amen. I believe that as men of God, as women of God, as we exercise spiritual authority in our homes, amen, that those that we lead will begin to follow us will begin to follow our examples and there will be a Christian apostolic spirit-filled house where you live. It's my prayer that as people would come 
into my house that they would say, I feel God in this house. And while I was praying just last night, I was praying, God, I pray that your presence would fill this house. That's a prayer we usually pray at the church house. But it's not, it's okay to be going to pray that in your home. God, fill this house with your glory. Fill my home with your presence. Self-control is developed when we pray for the strength to be temperate. And we ask him. The Bible says things like, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. If there's things that you're lacking, if there's something in this uh, Galatians 5, 22 to 23 that talks about the fruit of the Spirit that you're struggling with, you can ask the Lord, God, help me to have temperance. Help me to have self-control and to master myself. Help me, God, to have the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Romans 6 and 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of unrighteousness to God. Amen. Temperance or self-control cannot be accomplished. Hear me tonight, today. Temperance or self-control cannot be accomplished without the help of the Spirit of God. It cannot be accomplished without the help of the Spirit of God. No matter how much we we, we read it last time uh, in the the scriptures, that which I want to do, I do not. And that which I I don't want to do, I end up doing it. And and there's that war because if you're doing it in the flesh, you're going to fail every time. But if you say, God, fill me with your spirit. Give me the strength that I need to live for you. Amen. You will begin to exemplify and display this temperance. It is it is a daily battle between the flesh and the spirit. And God not only desires for us to have self-control, but to be masterful in our self-control. The people of God ought to have self-control. Self-control, it, it, it stretches into every area of our lives. Amen. Without self-control, the other aspects of the fruit of the spirit lose their value. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Praise God. Praise but if you lack self-control and you begin to lash out at people and, and you bite their head off, the other stuff goes out the door. You can have fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. And if you don't have temperance, it kind of just feels just, you know what? But why is this one missing? We've got to have all that God has for us. Without that, with with the help of God and persistent discipline, we can maintain self-control. If you would stand to your feet, Amen. We're going to close, Amen. This this morning. Amen. The story is told of a stunt pilot who was selling rides in his single-engine airplane. And one day he got into an argument with a man who insisted on taking his wife along at no extra charge. Not wanting to miss out on a chance to make some extra cash, the pilot said, I'll take you both up for the price of one if you promise not to utter a sound during the entire flight. If you make any noise, the price is doubled. The deal was made. Husband and wife agreed with the pilot. They climbed aboard the airplane. The pilot quickly proceeded to put the plane through all sorts of stunts, 
and maneuvers designed to make the bravest person tremble. But the passengers did not make a sound. Exhausted, the pilot finally landed. And as the man climbed out, the pilot said, I made moves up there that even that frightened even me. And yet you never said a word. You must have incredible self-control. The man thanked the pilot and then said, I must admit that there was one time when you almost had me. When was that? Asked the pilot. To which the man replied, when my wife fell out of the airplane. You almost had me. He was so, so hell bent on self-control. His wife fell out. Of course, this is probably just a joke. But do you understand what I'm saying? God wants us to have some self-control in our lives. We can't do without the help of the Holy Ghost. We need him. Amen. We can't do without him. Let's lift our hands. Amen. Let's just thank the Lord for a few moments. Amen. God, we thank you for your spirit, your power, the Holy Ghost, the word of the Lord. We pray, God, today for your will to be accomplished in the remaining part of this service today, God. We pray, God, for your will to be accomplished. We lift you up, God. Fill us with your spirit today, God. Make the difference in this place today. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you have kids in Sunday school, amen, we want you to pick them up. We're going to get started here in the, the main service in just a few minutes. Turn around, shake someone's hand, greet a neighbor. Amen. God bless you. In Jesus' name.